A spectator subscription is now better value than ever before. As a new subscriber joining today, you'll pay just £1 a week for unlimited online and app access in your first year. To subscribe today, go to spectator.co.uk forward slash unlimited. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shops, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by Katie Balls and James Forsyth. So today the Bank of England has raised interest rates by another half a percent. James, tell us about how significant this is. I think the interest rate rise is big, but it is not as significant as some of the other things the Bank of England are saying. The Bank of England are now saying that inflation is going to peak at 13, over 13% this year. And that in the third quarter of next year, inflation is still going to be at over 9%. This is much higher levels of inflation than previously expected and for much longer. I mean, that is going to have a clear implication in terms of things such as public sector pay. It's much more, it's much more difficult to defend below inflation pay increases for public sector workers, think nurses or teachers, mm-hmm. when it is clear that inflation is going to stay at this very elevated level for a prolonged period of time. You're not asking people to, to soak up a difficult six months, but, but, but much longer than that. And I think you also have the Bank of England saying that they think that there will be a recession that will start in the last quarter of this year and will last for longer than a year. It is a remarkably grim economic backdrop. And I think it is the principal driver of this is energy prices, which, again, the Bank of England concurs with the view that they are going to go higher than people have previously thought and stay higher for longer. And I mean, this is the point. All of these things that people thought might be, to go back to the, the word that used to be used, transitory, are now clearly going to be around for a long time. So inflation is going to be high for a long time. The recession is going to be, it's not going to be as steep as the one that followed the financial crisis, but it's actually going to last longer uh, on, on the Bank of England's projections. And you've got these very, very high energy prices. I think it is going to make politics remarkably difficult. I, when you look at this, I do not see how the new Prime Minister does not have to do a really quite big package to deal with the increase in the energy price cap come October. James, this has prompted Liz Truss to repeat her pledge to review the mandate for the Bank of England. What does she have in mind for that? I think this is one of these difficult things where something can have an intellectual validity to it, but also be potentially problematic. So Liz Truss's argument is, look, the Bank of England mandate was set in place when Gordon Brown uh, and then that new Labour government gave it independence back in 1997. Surely it should be looked at again. And that is not, a, I, I think that is not an unreasonable proposition. I think the danger here is that the markets are very sensitive to anything they see as threatening or interfering with central bank independence. So there is kind of clearly a delicate balance to be trod here. I also think it is difficult to do the review of the mandate at a time when what the Bank of England does about interest rates is so critical. Because intellectually, if you're looking at what Liz Truss is proposing in terms of fiscal loosening, you would think that what would go alongside that is monetary tightening. I think that is quite hard to pull off when you are at the same time reviewing the mandate of the Bank of England. That, that complicates things. I mean, there is also another broader problem, which is the Bank of England have states that talked about, you know, beginning to unwind quantitative easing, something that will put up the cost of government 
borrowing, which could be quite significant if a government is doing either very big tax cuts or big bailouts to try and help households with energy bills. And I think this comes back to something else, which is that I don't think people anticipated when the Bank of England was granted independence, which is that in the post-2008 world, monetary policy has become the, the dominant tool uh, or, 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 of economic policy. It was essentially what was used to try and uh, to try and stabilise the situation after the financial crisis. It was what was used during COVID to support all the various measures that were taken to try and stabilise the economy. And I think there is a, there is a, a challenge here when you have a politically independent central bank having to do so much of a heavy lifting. I, mean, I think this is difficult. If you think back to Theresa May's Systems of Nowhere speech, she's talked about QE and some of the negative side effects of that. And, you know, it was quite clear that the reaction from Fred Needle Street was, this is deeply unhelpful if you do this, and it is going to cause concerns in the market, a point that Andy Haldane reiterated recently. And so I think this is a, this is a very difficult uh, needle to Fred. And I think you saw today when some of the comments that Suella Braverman made this morning, how difficult it would be for the government to be trying to deal with the Bank of England mandate or change the Bank of England mandate in these circumstances, given all of the other issues going on in the economy at the moment. Mm-hmm. And Casey, speaking of the Liz Trust campaign, um, she's had another high profile endorsement, this time from Sajid Javid. Is that a surprise, given that Sajid Javid has historically sometimes been billed as an ally of Rishi Sunak, if they were Star Wars buddies, for example? So it's not a surprise in the sense it fits some of a trend of politicians coming out over the space of a week to endorse Liz Truss. I don't think there have been many, uh, I would say, high-profile Westminster politicians in the past week coming out to back Rishi Sunak. I think he got most of his big names out during the parliamentary rounds. And therefore you wonder, well... Why is one gaining more than the other? Now, I think there is no coincidence that Liz Truss is far ahead in all the polls. I mean, some polls she's narrowly ahead, but you govern con home, and we can debate the validity, but she is, you know, has a very comfortable lead. So you've had Tom Tugendhat, you've also had Penny Mordaunt, you now have Sajid Javid. And I think when it comes to Sajid Javid, as you say, the fact that he has worked with Rishi Sunak, the fact that when Rishi Sunak took over as Chancellor and he resigned... Richardson had been his deputy, the chief mm. secretary of the treasury. They kept a, a good relationship. And also, I think the fact that when you look at Sajid Javid's positions, so he defended the national insurance hike on the radio, on TV. Now, you can say it's collective responsibility. But given he was in the Department of Health at the time, I think he wanted the money mm. uh, for the social, for, for social care, for clearing the backlog. I think he also wanted money for, um, you know, continuing testing, free testing on COVID, a battle he eventually lost. But at the time, it caused some problems in number 10 because they thought uh, Sajid Javid was wanting too much money and where was that going to come from so therefore Sergio Javid's reasoning for backing this trust which is you need lower taxes I think is being questioned by some around him because they think well wait when you're in the Department of Health uh, you appeared to be asking for more money not less but now you don't want the tax rises but presumably he still wants the money so it plays into obviously this idea of unfunded tax cuts now I think of course Sergio Javid would say he would want to be a, a you know a tax cutter, as does apparently Rishi Sunak. But it has meant, I think, that there has been a bit of a backlash to Sajid Javid moving over. And there are some quarters, and particularly obviously the Rishi camps and Rishi Sunak supporters, who think this is careerist. Though I would just question how much 
bang you get for your buck by endorsing someone so late in the race mm. because ultimately the boldest ones if you think about the 2019 leadership election Liz Truss I think was Boris Johnson's first cabinet backer now if you want to be the first to put your head above the power of it then I think you get results and you get a certain level of loyalty I think Penny Mordaunt will probably get something perhaps she's asked for something for endorsing Liz Truss because it was a uh, you know when they thought around the time they thought the ballots were going out I presume there were negotiations but I do think at this point because we're also hearing the could be a switcher from the Sunak camp to the trust camp I think you are getting diminishing returns and also gaining some criticism or at least scepticism from mm. some of your colleagues absolutely and Katie we are going to be seeing Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak on our tv screens again tonight if you don't have anything better to do this evening um, but they will be on Sky should you wish to watch them and there'll be um, a live blog there will be a Coffee live House. blog on Coffee House so you don't have to watch it um, <laughs> what are we expecting to see Katie because you will be watching it I'll be watching it and blogging it. So yeah, for those who don't want to watch it but want to stare at their phones while maybe at the pub or over dinner with a family member, <laughs> we will have all the analysis and the top quotes. So it's not a formal debate in the sense I think Liz Truss's camp hit back at the idea of doing this. So it's almost two halves. But I think if you're looking at probably... The, you do have the hustings, but I think there is a difference between what even a journalist and a conservative hosted hustings can press and a journalist, uh, you know, in the news outlet is hosting it. So I would imagine, uh, combined with obviously audience and so forth, but Kay Burley is anchoring this. And I think that this will be a chance to probably make, perhaps be one of the final chances, because there's not much planned after this in terms of the media events, to really press the candidates. So this will be Liz Truss's first big interview. She did the pool clip since the U-turn mm. when it came to the, the idea of cuts, regional pay boards. So under sustained questioning, how does that rock up? Also, of course, uh, as James was talking about, the big Bank of England news today, which I think at times this Tory leadership contest has felt so it's focusing on issues that don't naturally perhaps correspond to the issues voters across the country are the most worried about. But I think today is a big reminder of how tricky it's going to be. And that will uh, be a chance to really actually probably re-examine their fiscal policies in light of uh, what we've been hearing today. I I think Katie is right, which is the, the Tory party crunched the schedule for this leadership contest because they didn't think it would be a good idea to still be debating who was going to be leader in September as all these crises came into clearer relief. But I think there is a danger at the moment that the current debate doesn't look connected to what the broader public are worrying about, especially after what, what the Bank of England said today. And I think there will, so I think there will be, especially given that the current government is not particularly visible today on this question. I think the Tory leadership candidates will come under more pressure to talk about what they would do about this squeeze that is coming up. Yeah, and the Spectator's diary editor, Steer Pike, was the first to report that Nadim Zahawi, the incumbent chancellor, seems to be not in the country, possibly. He says he's remote working. There's no comment on where exactly Nadim (laughs) Zahawi is when it was put by this publication that is he abroad. Nadim Zahawi gave uh, the Spectator a statement when they went to him which is effectively a situation where it seems both Boris Johnson and Nadim Zahori on what you could describe as a holiday. Uh, I think the Treasury describe it as remote working and an undisclosed location. Um, <laughs> but it put out a statement saying, actually, all holidays these days, uh, you know, there's no such thing as a pure holiday and he's working and holding meetings from there. So, so they're getting a strong kickback. But I just think it just adds to a slight sense, I think, which is you wouldn't expect 
a government which is really waiting for the new government to take over or a new leader to do much in the face of this. But I think in previous times you would be looking to, you know, calm concerns and the fact that you have both the Prime Minister and the Chancellor away doesn't exactly scream that message. Katie and James, thanks very much. And thank you very much for listening. Don't worry, Coffee House Shots will be going throughout every one of our holidays.